truths about witnessing Christ. I think that some golfers never break 100 strokes as they score their rounds of golf. I know I never have broken 100. I think that some believers have never shared their faith, never given the gospel to even one person so far in their lives. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I do think that it is quite possible that some of you have never shared your faith since you've become a Christian. I hope that this sermon will help you to see some timeless principles as to how you can begin to share your faith. And for those of us who have been sharing our faith, may these principles spur us on to continuous evangelism as an exciting way to worship God and obey him. Two of the classic New Testament true stories recorded on conversions are Jesus witnessing to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and the passage that is before us today in Acts chapter 8 when Philip led an Ethiopian official to Christ. That's Acts chapter 8. And as I mentioned in my prayer, we're going to see six timeless principles to teach us how better to do the work of evangelism, how better to share our faith. And I'll be moving rather quickly through this message, so I hope you'll stick with me. The first truth that I want us to see is that God directed Philip to the right person at the right time. I'm in Acts 8, beginning to read at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is desert. So the Lord was clear when he revealed what he wanted Philip to do, and Philip's response to the direction was equally clear. Philip went to that particular road, and in obedient faith, he showed up. He did what he was told, verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, Philip wasn't told by the Holy Spirit who he was to look for. He wasn't even told what he was to look for. He was just told to get over to the road in question. Now, an Ethiopian royal official, a text tells us that he was actually the treasurer of all of the Ethiopian queen Candace's kingdom, a man with super responsibilities. He was parked in his royal chariot on that particular road that the Holy Spirit dispatched Philip to go to. Tells us sometimes... We ought not to forget the rich people when we share the gospel. They need Christ as much as poor people. We all need Christ. I've seen a lot of unhappy rich people, and you have too, on cruise ships, in our city's resorts. There are plenty of people who have plenty of money who have no plenty, no plenty peace. Their lives are grim for their own reasons. We not, do not want to hesitate to share Christ with those folks as well. Well, in, in Philip's time, they surely didn't see royal high-ranking officials and their chariots pulled off to the side of remote desert roads. But that day, that's what Philip met. That's precisely where God sent Philip to have a divine appointment with the treasurer of a foreign kingdom. 
I think we all believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is still making divine appointments between lost people he's open to the gospel and faithful gospel witnesses who would take the gospel to the persons that God has opened. I believe that God still makes divine appointments. I think in the first pastorate I had, there was a gentleman named Morris Robson who had suffered a stroke, and he was in the hospital in London, a city of about 400,000 people. It was winter, and I sent out from the little town I was pastoring in about 45 minutes north of the city of London to find Morris Robson in Victoria Hospital. I went to Victoria Hospital. They had a sophisticated database. I said, I'm here to see Morris Robson. They looked through the screen. We have no Morris Robson. But there's another Victoria Hospital in London. Wanted to check there, and I found out where that was. I went to that hospital. Do you have a Morris Robson? Pastor Elliot to see Morris Robson. Look on the screen. We don't have a Morris Robson. By now it's dark. It's winter. I'm hungry. But I just couldn't give up. I didn't have a release from the Holy Spirit in my heart to just give up. I tried two hospitals, but I couldn't find Morris Robson. So on, on an odd thing, I didn't think it was possible, but I asked the guy at the second Victoria Hospital, is there a third Victoria Hospital? Goes, yeah, it's right over there. Three Victoria Hospitals. Boy, they could have had more imagination naming hospitals. So I go to the third hospital. Pastor Elliot, here to see Morris Robson. Would you please tell me where he is? We don't have a Morris Robson. But I couldn't give up. The Holy Spirit pressed in on me. I couldn't give up. So I think he's had a stroke. That's the neurological medicine. So I asked the person at the desk of this third Victoria Hospital, what floor is the uh, neurological medicine? The seventh floor. So I go to the seventh floor. I go to the nurse's station. I say, I'm Pastor Elliot. Do you have a Morris Robson here? He's had a stroke. No, we don't have a Morris Robson. So I go to turn, baffled. I'm walking down the corridor. I look in a room, and there's Morris Robson in a bed. There's a divine appointment. Mr. Robson couldn't speak. He'd lost his speech in the stroke. But I shared the gospel with Mr. Robson, and I said, Mr. Robson, if you hear what I'm saying, squeeze my hand. He was a farmer. He had a strong hand. I said, signal signal to me if you understand what I've just said, that you'll squeeze my hand if you understand what I'm saying. He squeezed my hand. I went through the gospel all along the way. Do you understand, Mr. Robson? Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And then when I came to say, do you want to transfer your trust to the finished work of Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, Mr. Robson? If you want to do that, squeeze my hand. Well, he about broke my hand. And they're holding hands in that darkened hospital room, the third Victoria Hospital, where the nursing station doesn't even know they have a Morris Robson. The Holy Spirit had a divine appointment. Mr. Robson trusted Jesus to be his savior. He survived the stroke, but a year or two later, I had a part in, in his Christian funeral service. Divine appointments. God has divine appointments for each of us who know his son. Be praying about it. Be sensitive to it. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Don't give up. Find that person God wants you to find. Second point. Some persons are sincere and show interest in the Bible and in spiritual truth, but they are still lost in sin. You know these people. They're members of churches. They do Bible studies. They listen to Christian television or Christian radio. They are sincerely interested in spiritual things, but they are not yet saved. 
When you talk to them, what they're trusting to make them right with God isn't Christ. There are sincerely interested persons who aren't yet saved. This Ethiopian treasurer is representative of all those people to this day. 27th verse of our chapter through 35, please. So Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was, And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his, to his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. This Ethiopian official, this Ethiopian treasurer, was sincerely interested in spiritual things. I mean, he traveled an immense distance to worship in Jerusalem from Ethiopia. Not only that, on his free time, on his journey back to Ethiopia after having worshiped God, he was reading the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And not only that, he wanted to understand it. So the first thing, when Philip shows up and gets in his chariot, he asks, who is he speaking about, himself or somebody else? I want to understand Isaiah 53 that I'm reading out loud. He was sincerely interested, but at that point, he was sincerely lost. The lesson here, church family, we must be discerning not to assume that because a person does the right thing, or wants to do the right thing, that that person is necessarily saved. They might just be moralistic. They might just have been raised by a godly daddy and a godly mommy. Doesn't mean they're saved because they want the right things and they do some of the right things. One way to diagnose whether a person is truly born again is a simple question I was taught at Dallas Seminary, and it's this question. If God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Most everybody I've asked that question of over the years says, I haven't really thought about it. Then I say, well, I'll give you some time to think about it. I'm not in a hurry. And then you wait. You don't talk, except to repeat the question. If God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what do you think you'd say? Whatever that person answers is what they're hanging their hat on for their eternity. If they're hanging their hat on Christ's finished work, they'll say that. If they're hanging their hat on some good that they could do, they'll say that. It's a great way to diagnose whether someone is saved. May I ask you, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And then don't talk. Wait. Pray with your eyes open. The third point, 
God the Holy Spirit opens hearts and minds to the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. God the Holy Spirit opens hearts and minds to the gospel, and look how the Holy Spirit opened the Ethiopian official's heart and mind. Verse 27, he'd come a long way, as I already stated, to worship in Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 32 and 33, he was reading out loud the most messianic-centered chapters of all the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. That's Holy Spirit preparation. And 34, he invited Philip to share the truth. It's a great truth, brothers and sisters, that if we will obey the Lord's leading in the littlest matters and in the biggest matters as evangelists, he will go before us and do the work necessary to ready the person or the persons we are going to share the gospel with. I've seen that time and time and time again. Be obedient in the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, and God will lead you to persons that he has prepared to be open to trusting Jesus for salvation. I've only had to break up a fistfight when I was preaching once in my life so far. I was in the Dallas County Juvenile Jail with a monthly ministry that Beth and I and some other believers from Schofield Memorial Church went to. And right in the midst of preaching in the auditorium of this juvenile jail, just to the boys, the women had their own service with women uh, speakers, a fistfight breaks out. And I was young and foolish enough that I thought it was my job to break it up. So I got between these two guys that were fighting, took a couple inadvertent punches to my head that were meant for the other guy. My dress shirt got ripped. The guards came in and said, what are you doing, preacher? Why are you bringing this up? That's our job. I said, well, I didn't see exactly. So anyway, here I am with a, a welt on my cheek and a ripped dress shirt, And I had a choice to make. Once these two combatants were taken out by the jail guards, what was I going to do? Well, what I was going to do was why I went there in the first place. I was going to preach the gospel. So I got back at it. And here I am preaching away, give a gospel invitation. We split into smaller groups, and two boys trusted Christ to be their Savior that morning when the fist fight broke out in the sermon. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had an appointment with those two Fenders, and he drew them to Christ. And I didn't quit preaching because I was in a little bit of a skirmish. God prepares those who will trust Christ, and we merely need to be obedient and prayerful to find those people and to share our faith. And so, first point, God directed Philip to the right person at the right time, divine appointments. Second point, some persons are sincere and show interest in the Bible, and yet they're spiritually not saved yet. The third truth is that God the Holy Spirit opens hearts and minds to the gospel ahead of us, finding those individuals to share our faith with. The fourth point, we should never discourage obedience to the Lord. We must never encourage anyone to be disobedient to God or delayed in their obedience to God. Why do I say that? Verses 35 to 38. So the Ethiopian treasurer trusts Christ to be his savior. And and then 35 to 38, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, that is Isaiah chapter 53, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? 
May I ask you that? This morning, what hinders you as a believer from being water baptized? Fear? Procrastination? What hinders you from being water baptized if you have not been water baptized since you were saved? The Ethiopian eunuch was just minutes old in Christ. He saw the first body of water he saw and says, what hinders me from being baptized? How did he know about water baptism? Well, this text doesn't tell us. Maybe Philip told him about it. Maybe he had witnessed water baptisms when he was worshiping in Jerusalem. Gentiles who converted to Judaism were water baptized. Maybe the Holy Spirit directly taught the Ethiopian treasurer that to be water baptized was a way of going public with an already completed private reality of faith in Christ. I don't know. But he saw water, first water he saw, he says, what hinders me from being baptized? There are eight people going to be baptized on June the 26th. Should you be among them? Should you be number nine? Should you be number 10? Should you be number 15? Don't delay. The Lord will help you obey him. What hinders me from being baptized, the Ethiopian asks. The, see, the Ethiopian, Ethiopian treasurer, for all of his reading, for all of his traveling, for all of his worshiping, for all of his inquiring, he came to understand that Jesus Christ, as shared with him by Philip, that Jesus Christ had been the culmination, the fulfillment, the totally satisfactory answer to all that he had wanted to know about God. And he said, I want to go public. I want to share the fact with anybody who's observing on this desert road with a little body of water beside it that I'm a new man. Christ has made me new. I'm not turning back. I'm going back to Ethiopia to serve Jesus Christ in Candace the Queen's treasury. He came to believe that his search for truth and for salvation and for forgiveness of sin and for meaning and understanding of scriptures, he came to understand that it happened when he transferred his trust to Christ. And we know that he transferred his trust to Christ because Philip said in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. I love it that Philip didn't say, you need to go back to Ethiopia and plug into a Bible-believing church and wait three years before you're water baptized. Didn't say that. He didn't discourage Holy Spirit-prompted obedience in the new convert. The new convert says, water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip simply said, if you believe with all your heart, nothing hinders you. Let's do it. I love that. When it comes to water baptism or when it comes to any other matter, never, ever discourage anybody you're working with from obeying God. And that includes yourself. Never, ever discourage yourself from obeying God. Don't ever do that. And the fact that this Ethiopian eunuch couldn't stay quiet tells me something else that I should share with us this morning about water baptism. This Ethiopian treasurer was so excited and so convicted and so purposeful to say, I want to be water baptized. There's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He was 
not at all bashful. He was not at all hesitant. He didn't procrastinate. He wanted to identify with his new Savior, Jesus Christ, just as soon as possible in the way that it had been prescribed to make that identification. You know what an unbaptized Christian is like, church family? What an unwater-baptized Christian is like? An unwater-baptized Christian is like someone who's in the defense force who refuses to wear the uniform. An unwater-baptized Christian is like someone in the military who simply refuses to wear the uniform. Or an unwater-baptized Christian is like the person who refuses to hang the sign around their life under new management. When we trust Christ to be our Savior, he comes in to take over everything to be the Lord and the master of our affections, of our priorities, of our decisions, of our money, of our families, of our marriages, of our retirement, of everything. And the Christian who refuses to be water baptized is basically saying, I don't think I'm under new management, so I won't hang the baptism sign, I'm under new management, out. The unwater baptized Christian is like the person who says, don't hold me accountable to walk with Christ. The water-baptized believer, however, is wearing the uniform the New Testament stipulates that a Christian should wear. The water-baptized Christian is hanging the sign around her life or his life under new management, and I want everybody to know that I am. The water-baptized Christian says, I'm accountable. I've stated publicly I'm going to fully follow Jesus Christ in obedience, and you can hold me to it. Have you been water-baptized? I was when I was a baby. Did you know Christ as personal Lord and Savior as a baby? Could you see that your parents water baptizing you was doing the best that they knew how to do? And really by you trusting Christ and later being water baptized as an adult is really the culmination, the fruition of what they were wanting for you when they baptized you as a baby? I'm nervous to speak in public. Join the human race. Everybody's nervous to speak in public. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to speak in public if you have not yet been water baptized. Seen it for 35 years. Oh, I urge you to request water baptism if you've never been water baptized. Be like the Ethiopian. Water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip, if you believe with all your heart, you may be. Never discourage anyone else from obeying the Lord in any matter and never discourage yourself from obeying the Lord in every matter. The fifth point. We don't always get to personally disciple those who we lead to Christ. Verse 39. Amazing. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. We don't always get 
to personally disciple and mentor the people we lead to Christ. And let me say something about leading someone to Christ. I want to tell you what I mean by that and what I don't mean by that. I've been using the phrase to lead someone to Christ. What I mean by that, number one, is that prayerfully and clearly and lovingly, I present the truth of the gospel. Second, I then invite that lost person to trust Christ alone. When I was a waiter in seminary, Beth and I waited tables in a family restaurant in Dallas when we were in seminary. When I brought the food to the table, I had not cooked it. When I brought the food to the table, I was the waiter. My job was to get the hot food from the kitchen to the patron who was going to eat it in a very efficient and friendly manner. And I certainly wasn't my responsibility as the waiter to eat the food. There are things that I am to do when I share my faith, to pray, to be clear, biblical, to be loving, to present the accurate gospel to a lost person, and then in humility and uh, honesty to invite that lost person to transfer their trust to Christ alone. That's what I can do as the waiter. But there are some things that I simply cannot do to lead someone to Christ because I'm not the cook. And I'm not the diner. For instance, when I say that you can lead someone to Christ, I don't mean that you can do only what God the Father or God the Holy Spirit can do. I do not mean that. What does God the Father and God the Holy Spirit do that the witness to the gospel can't do? Convict of sin, draw to Christ, grant repentance, grant saving faith. I can't do any of that, and neither can you. Larry Moyer who trained many of us in evangelism at Dallas Seminary, has a good quote. Larry says, your goal must be to bring Christ to them. It cannot be to bring them to Christ. The first is your job, the second is God's job. Sure, you want to see them come to Christ today, but that ultimately is in God's hands. I believe that, end of quote. So on this point, sometimes... When uh, we lead someone to Christ, bring Christ to that person, we don't have the privilege of working with that new convert as the time passes and they need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior. Um, Philip didn't. <laughs> Immediately and miraculously after the baptism, God snatched away Philip out of sight. And then God deployed Philip to the next place he was to evangelize, a place called Azotus, also called Ashdod, in former Philistine country. We see that in verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so I'd like to point out that in that airlift, that catching up away from the desert road down to Gaza over to Azotus, the 20-mile uh, distance, uh, Philip didn't get to go on with the new convert from Ethiopia. Scripture doesn't tell us who went on with the new convert from Ethiopia to teach him the things of the Lord, but somebody must have. But Philip didn't get that privilege. Now, I want to say something about Philip being snatched away to a new place of ministry. This phenomenon did not mean that Philip was an angel. But it did mean, number one, that God confirmed to the Ethiopian official and to his entourage, the caravan he was a part of, that Philip was sent by God to the treasurer. 
The second thing that that catching away did, it showed them that God had other work for Philip to do with haste in another place. Of course, Philip was not the first person to be suddenly snatched away by the Lord. Elijah was, 1 Kings 18 and 2 Kings 2, and Ezekiel was, Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 8. And you know what? Philip won't be the last believer that's going to be snatched away suddenly either. <laughs> the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Watch now. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, same idea, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. May I interject? What a day that'll be. What a night that'll be. Whew. A lot of banks holding the bag on mortgages that aren't going to get paid. What a day that'll be. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When Philip was suddenly snatched away by God, it meant that the new convert, the treasurer who he had led to Christ, would have to be discipled to grow with other Christian influence in Ethiopia. And as I said before, we don't know who did that. But we know that he who began a good work in the Ethiopian treasure would be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Somebody did that. We don't always get to personally disciple those we lead to Christ. But the church is a body with various members doing various things, right? And in 1 Corinthians 3, it's depicted quite clearly who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, that's Paul saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I love a quote I ran across from Adrian Rogers this past week in studying for the message. Adrian Rogers said that what, what is evangelism except a fishing net of nothings tied together to each other? The holes in the net are nothings, Right? but we're tied together by the Holy Spirit in the cause of world evangelization and disciple-making, and together God can use us to do the work he intends to do. A bunch of nothings tied together in a net. Oftentimes, the hard work of discipling a person is done in obscurity. The person who helps you grow in grace as a new Christian, many people don't even know who she is or who he is, but God does. 
We don't know who discipled the Ethiopian treasurer back in Ethiopia, but somebody did. The Bible doesn't tell any names. If you are working with someone and helping them grow in grace and the knowledge of their Savior, and nobody knows you're doing it, remember, God does. And God helps you. And he will reward you. So press on. Sixth and final point from this true account. God's heart, God's heart is for Christ to be presented to the whole world. God's heart is that Christ would be presented to the whole world. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities he came to Caesarea. So he's in Azotus, he's got to walk to get to Caesarea, and the text says he presented Christ to every city. He didn't skip a city. He went to every city in the path between Gaza, Azotus, and Caesarea. That's because God's heart is that his son, Jesus Christ, would be presented to the whole world. The whole world. When you step back from this and you consider that this preaching series is called Acts 0 to 60 because the book of Acts chronicles how God birthed the church and then the first 60 years of the church's history is in the book of Acts. When you step back from that truth that the first 60 years of the church's existence is chronicled in scripture for us in the book of Acts, when you step back from that to this point in the book of Acts, the end of chapter eight, the gospel's already gone out quite a bit. Already at this point in the book of Acts, the gospel has penetrated Jerusalem. It's penetrated Samaria. And now, in the account of the salvation of the treasurer, it's going to penetrate Ethiopia. This gospel was spreading fast. It was unstoppable, in fact. And by the measurement of the sons of Noah, by this point in the gospel, the sons of Noah's descendants, that is Shem, Japheth, and Ham, descendants from all of the three sons of Noah out of the ark had heard the gospel by that point. Descendants of Shem had, descendants of Japheth had, and descendants of Ham. They had heard the gospel even by the end of Acts chapter 8 because it's God's heart that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be presented to the whole world. When we seek to give, to pray, and to go, to take the gospel to the whole world, we are having heart beating in resonance with God's heartbeat. You know Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Jesus, before the ascension, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And wonderful, merciful Savior, that is still the heart of God that we would share this wonderful, merciful Savior with the world, beginning on our doorsteps, beginning in our community, beginning in our city, beginning in our country, and through the missionaries of our fellowship to the furthest corners of the earth.
Oswald J. Smith was the founding pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, city, my home city. And Dr. Smith said this, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. This true story from Warren Wearsby. In October of 1857, J. Hudson Taylor began to minister in Ningpo, China, and he led a Mr. Ni to Christ. The man was overjoyed and wanted to share his faith far and wide. How long have you had the good tidings in England? Mr. Ni asked Hudson Taylor one day. Hudson Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for many centuries. To which Mr. Nee said, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? How long have you had the gospel? How long have I had the gospel? Are there lost people in our spheres of influence that are asking, what's taken you so long to tell us the truth? What's delayed you? My husband died without Christ, or my wife died without Christ, or my child died without Christ. Why, why did you keep the truth to yourself? Please stand with me. We're standing before God because standing is a posture of response. And we're standing before God because standing is the beginning of moving out in different ways. We're standing because we have heard the clarion call of the scriptures this morning that ours is the responsibility to share our faith. We're standing because in our heart of hearts, silently we may need to confess sins of selfishness or fear of rejection. We're standing because having confessed our sins where present, that we are to receive your cleansing, your forgiveness, and a fresh blowing of the wind of your Holy Spirit in our mouths and minds and lives. We want to believe that this week, of all the appointments we may have, the very most important appointment is the divine appointment that you would have for us to talk about Christ with a lost person. We're standing because we're willing for you to put us where we need to be and to love the person we are to love. We realize that some people are hard to love They rub us the wrong way. 
maybe we have a history with them. But if they need Christ as Savior, what prevents me from sharing my faith? We pray for opportunities this week, Lord, that would be Morris Robson-like. Give us tenacity to find that person you've made an appointment for us to have for the gospel's sake. Open hearts to those we'll talk with. May we bring Christ to those people so that the Holy Spirit would bring those people to Christ. Please grow this church through conversion growth. Help us to have babes in Christ here because of our witness to the gospel. May they feel the love of the Lord, the help of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord in this place. May we view them with the same excitement we view a newborn baby to this church family. May we have enthusiastic, joyous response to a newborn, spiritually newborn convert in this assembly. May we fall all over ourselves loving that person. Lord, thank you for this amazing reminder in the text today and help us to be about your business because your business lasts forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name and God's gospel witnesses said, amen. Amen. Please remain seated.